But really, this stuff just builds and snowballs over time, and you have to put in the reps, right? Don't show up to start a software company if you're not willing to put in the hard work and to try things that are hard and to try things that are likely to fail and then to, to double down on them and triple down on them. Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Excited to be here this week. I'm back fresh from MicroConf Growth in Dubrovnik, Croatia. And we are moving things forward now, looking ahead to MicroConf Remote in a couple months, as well as the fact that we just crossed 10,000 YouTube subscribers after just about 18 months on our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash microconf if you haven't checked it out. We have a lot of folks watching videos both from live streams that we're doing as well as the in-person microconfs over the past decade plus. We've now done 24 microconfs, including the four that we ran last month. In other news, we announced Tiny Seed Europe this week. This is a European time zone fund that is going to be investing in B2B SaaS companies across Europe, as well as Africa, the Middle East, anywhere in the European time zones, in essence. And we've been making great progress raising that fund. It's actually been going faster than we expected. Obviously, if you're an accredited investor interesting in diversifying into early stage B2B SaaS companies, head to tinyseed.com slash invest. And if you think you might want to work with myself, Tracy and Anar on the Tiny Seed team, you've heard both of them on this podcast, you should head to tinyc.com slash careers. We are hiring a European program manager, full-time hire, fully remote in the European time zones. Today, we're doing another Rob solo adventure, going to cover a few topics that I've had the chance to think about over the past month or so as I've been traveling. I'll plan to cover three, maybe four topics today, depending on time. The first is something that I've not only been working on with my kids, but it's something that I've had to say to a couple founders over the past few months. And frankly, I think probably needs to be said more often to folks who start their own company. And the phrase is this, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Some examples of that are at our house, the dog knocked over a thing of glitter that someone had left out, one of my kids. And I said, you know, it's not your fault, that the dog knocked it over, but it is your responsibility to clean it up. That's a simple everyday example. The bigger one is when I hear founders complaining about things that are holding them back and they're complaining, not in a way of venting and moving on and then tackling it and taking action to fix it, but they're complaining with the sense that they're helpless. You know, it's a sense of helplessness that someone else should come in and tell them what to do or to fix it for them. Right? It's like we start companies because we don't want a boss. We want freedom, purpose, relationships to make money. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons, a bunch of motivations, different founders do it. But one thing you have to realize if you're going to go down this path is that you don't have a manager anymore. You don't have a boss to say you have to do this. And you have to make some hard decisions about what to do next. It can be easy to be trained by a system that always shows you the next step. So you start in first grade and you know you're probably going to second grade next. And then you go through eighth grade. Then you go in the U.S., you go through high school, nine through 12th. And then some people go to a trade school, some people get a job, and some folks go to college. Maybe you get a post-secondary education or maybe you go get a job. And I remember my first jobs, people told me what to do. I showed up for work 
and they said, you do that task, right? We've talked, I've talked about task level and project level and, and owner level thinkers. And in the early days, I certainly was a task level, level thinker. I think a lot of us are. And it's easy to fall into a trap of saying, well, someone's always going to tell me what to do next and to not take your own destiny in your own hands. So a lot of us then go to start a company or we start a side project, whether it's to make a little bit of money on the side or whether it's to gain ultimately that freedom, purpose, and relationships. The hard part is making the mental shift from someone's always going to tell me what to do and someone else will take responsibility when things go wrong to the buck stopping with you. Because the moment you take that plunge, Things happen that are not your fault. Google comes and sideswipes you or knocks you out of existence by accident without even noticing. You build on a platform like Shopify or Heroku and they come knocking at your door and they say, we want to take X percent of your revenue or we're going to put you out of business. We just shut off your API access. Or a competitor comes along who doesn't even really know what they're doing, but they're good at raising money and they raise $10 million, $15 million and you're basically a bootstrap, mostly bootstrap company. None of these things are your fault, but it's your responsibility as a founder, as someone who owns the company and is driving it forward to figure out how to make that work. And so when things go wrong and bad things happen, you can absolutely be set back. You can absolutely feel that. I'm not saying be impervious, be a, a superman or a superwoman and, and never feel the pain or the anxiety or the stress of it. But then take that step back and decompress. Take a deep breath. And that deep breath may need to last many days if, if the setback is large. Like when one of my apps, Hittail, was completely decimated three times in 24 months by Google, purely on accident. Every time it was devastating when it happened and it was an eye roll and it was a, why am, why do I still own this business? I'm focused on drip and it's growing so fast. I don't have time to deal with this. It wasn't my fault, but it was my responsibility. And each time I took a step back, I took a deep breath. And again, that deep breath sometimes lasted six hours as I was like trying to not be so mad or not say, just throw in the towel and just shut this whole thing down. And then I said, all right, how do we fix it? And this is something I, I also think that you should be thinking about instilling into people on your team. Because this is not something I remember being taught. It's something, it was a painful lesson that I learned over the course of growing these companies. It's like, no one's coming to save you. You're the founder and it does, the buck stops with you. And that's something I, I think more of us can hear. And, and like I said, whether it's teaching your, your children, whether it's communicating this to your team, that yes, you know, some things will come along that may not be your fault in particular, you know, support person or customer success person or salesperson, but we have to take responsibility for things at this company. Now, obviously, I'm not saying you shouldn't get outside counsel, that you shouldn't have advisors, mentors, even a, a community like MicroConf Connect or the Tiny Seed Batches or a mastermind group who is along with you on this journey and giving you input and insights, and serving as a sounding board and a sanity check for the ideas and thoughts that you have. But no one else will have the context of your business and your industry and your space like you will. And so ultimately, you know, these hard decisions, they do often come down to coming up with options and presenting them to your advisors, your mastermind group, and anyone else who you consider your outside counsel. But then it comes back to you as a founder, you know, the buck does stop with you and the decision ultimately rests on you or you and your co-founders as the case may be. We have a new sponsor this week. 
And if you've attended a microconf in the past or seen one of our YouTube videos, you've likely seen one of the founders of Software Promotions. Dave Collins has spoken seven times at different microconfs. And with his business partner, he runs Software Promotions, where they do Google ads and SEO work, both sides of Google. They've worked with more than 600 businesses, have 22 years of experience. They've been doing it a long time. They've worked with a lot of folks in the microconf community, and they know what they're doing, and they consistently produce results. You can head to bit.ly slash tame Google, or look in our show notes for a link to softwarepromotions.com. The second topic I want to cover today is this phrase that occurred to me during the Summer Olympics this year, where I saw an injured gymnast sitting on the sideline, in essence, not able to compete. And one of my sons asked me, even if you're injured, couldn't you pull it together for this one event? You know, couldn't you go and do the vault? You do, how many vaults do you do in the Olympics total? It's, it's not that many compared to how many she's probably done in her life. And what I told him was, it's not the games that are hard on your body, it's the practice. Because showing up for the game or the meet or the competition, it's just, it's a, it's a brief moment compared to the number of hours that you practice. So I ran track for nine years. I was a hurdler and I ran in high school and then in college. And in the 400-meter hurdles, the race, it's about 50 seconds long. It's not the race that beat up on your body and destroyed your knees and hurt your hamstrings. It was the two hours plus of practice six days a week for the four or five months before that to get in shape to play in the games. And a lot of people don't realize this, right? It's like, I remember getting injured. I would hurt my knee. I would hurt something. I wouldn't be able to race. And it wasn't that I couldn't get out there and run one race. It was that I couldn't practice for the two or three weeks before that. Therefore, I was not in any type of shape to compete. And the reason I'm bringing up this sports metaphor is startups have a major similarity in that we see these brief moments. We see the product hunt launch of a new SaaS app, or we see something make it to the top of Hacker News, or we see something get a great PR mention, a write-up on whatever, pick insert website name here on TechCrunch or Inc. Magazine, or we see someone just crushing it in their outbound sales, or we hear about it, or we see, you know, we see a blog post summarizing their content marketing efforts, and you sit there and read it for 20 minutes, and you think, wow, everything's going well for them. And we feel like building and growing a startup is just these brief 20 and 30 minute moments or six hour moments of what we see on the outside. But it's not. It's the hundreds and thousands of hours of practice that happens in the weeks, the months, and the years, and sometimes decades before those moments happen. I did a talk at MicroConf a few years ago called 11 Years to Overnight Success. And I talked about selling Drip in 2016 and being able to retire at 41 or 42, however old I was then. And I talked about how that wouldn't have happened. I couldn't have personally done that without the 11 years of entrepreneurship building up to that moment. And that's the 11 years that most people don't see. You know, today, if you come across this podcast or you read an essay I've written or you read a book or you see Tiny Seed or you see MicroConf, you might say, they really know what they're doing. They're executing well. They have a great community. I could build this too. This doesn't look that hard. Usually people who are making it not look that hard 
are either really good at what they do or they've had a lot, a lot, a lot of practice, years if not decades. And so I'd like you to take away two points from this. The first is don't be confused or fooled into thinking that building and growing a startup is all pivotal on these little moments. Sure, these little moments come along and sometimes you do very rarely launch that one feature that changes the trajectory of your startup, but it's not usually the case. Usually it's months and years of building towards that. And even if you do finally launch that one feature, it's because you launched the hundred before that and you'll launch the hundred after that are actually building the business. It wasn't like you could shortcut it and just do that. Just because someone makes it to the front page of TechCrunch or the top of Hacker News or just has some big launch, splashy launch, the you know, product of the month on Product Hunt, there was a lot of hard work, luck, and skill that probably went into that. And so in your mind, we think in terms of years, not months, as bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped founders. In addition, this has to then mentally prepare you to go on this marathon and to not treat it as a sprint and to not get discouraged when you try the silver bullet hack of the week that you read about in a startup SaaS email newsletter put together by XYZ random venture capitalists content marketing company that they've hired. And that doesn't change your trajectory, right? That's where you can you can have that managing your own psychology moment of this isn't working and it's never going to work. This stuff is bogus. I can't do it or this isn't real. I mean, there's all manner of thinking that you can go down that isn't true. It's just a long journey. And some stuff is harder than it seems. And some stuff is harder than for particular people than it seems. I have heard people say, not a lot, but a few people say, I tried AdWords and, and it, it just didn't work. It doesn't work. I don't think AdWords works anymore. That's a preposterous statement. AdWords is absolutely working for certain companies in certain spaces with certain budgets and certain lifetime values who invest a bunch of time. They put in the hard work, they gain the skill and I don't know, maybe get a little lucky. I don't know if luck applies to AdWords actually. Same thing with content marketing. Content marketing's data doesn't, it's just too crowded now. I mean, yes and no. Yes, it is crowded. It's not too crowded. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to want to think in wins in terms of weeks that I want things to change in next week or next month. But really, this stuff just builds and snowballs over time, and you have to put in the reps, right? Don't show up to start a software company if you're not willing to put in the hard work and to try things that are hard and to try things that are likely to fail and then to, to double down on them and triple down on them. I can't tell you how many months I spent messing around with Facebook ads before I got them to work with Hittail. And people were telling me Facebook ads don't work. They're too expensive. Maybe they wouldn't have worked. Maybe I got lucky. But I built an incredible lifestyle business on that. And it was because I just wouldn't give up. I refused. I was brute forcing that approach to make it work. I've digressed a little bit from my point that it's not the games that are hard on the body. It's the practice. But I want you to go away thinking this is a long-term game. And if you're going to be unhappy during the journey, if you're going to be unhappy today and next week and next month, then you're not going to be happy if you exit or... You're not going to be happy when you hit a million ARR or 5 million or you sell for 20 million. You're still not going to be happy. You have to be mentally prepared to put in the time for weeks, months, years, and enjoy the journey while you're doing it. It's easier said than done, but I think it's, it's a good reminder for all of us. Lastly, I wanted to cover a couple things that I've discovered about my own dietary patterns that I wished I had known 10 or 15 years ago because they negatively impacted, some of them negatively impacted me as I was 
building these companies and, you know, basically building, building the dynasty, so to speak. And these are some simple things that may or may not apply to you. But what I learned was that the advice that I was reading in books on physiology, the advice, of course, you see on the internet or here in podcasts, whether it's, you know, the four hour body from Tim Ferriss or, or the keto diet or, you know, whatever diets we've seen, paleo, all these things come and go. Even within our family, I would look at things that Sherry was reading and doing and were helping her, and then I would try them, and they wouldn't work for me, or they would they would actually make me feel more tired. And something that really hadn't occurred to me was how much body physiology, and the, not just the individual, but your body type, and then individual genetics and all that can, can play a factor in it. But I had five bullets that I had responded in a, there's a private Slack I'm in, and someone had said, what are some kind of dietary things that you've adjusted. And maybe some of this has, has happened as, as I've gotten a little older. But to be honest, I remember like the first one is that I really stopped drinking coffee. I like coffee a lot, but I stopped drinking coffee about two or three years ago. And I remember a lot in my 30s while I was growing drip, I had really like, it was like high anxiety often. And it, I would feel my heart pounding. And I always went, oh, I'm so stressed, you know. Turns out <laughs> I would drink coffee, again, which I love, and I would drink a half cup or I'd drink a third of a cup because if I drank a full cup, it would just send me to the moon, right? So my body reacts, you know, is very sensitive to caffeine. And eventually I found out that black tea doesn't have that impact on me. And it's got not only just have less caffeine, but then I don't crash afterwards. So if I drink a cup of coffee in the morning, about three, four hours later, I completely crash and I, I need to go to sleep. And it's great that a caffeine has this impact on me. I'm kind of, I say, I would say I'm lucky. But I think if you're out there and you are having yourself feeling high, you know, high anxiety and drinking a lot of coffee, I kind of wish that I had discovered this sooner because it definitely had a negative impact on my quality of life and probably on my, some of my decision making uh, over many years because I just didn't think anything about it. I was tired. So I drank coffee because that's what everyone else did. That's what was around the house. That's what Sherry had. That's what was at, you know, we had an espresso machine at the office. And again, I enjoy the taste of it, but it's something uh, now that I've switched to black tea that my, just my ability to stay awake for the whole day and feel, you know, have a high energy level and all that has really, really changed dramatically. Second thing is I don't drink any caffeine after about 1 p.m. I think it's pretty common knowledge. I know most people don't do it, but I have found that, you know, drinking after that, while I can still go to sleep, it impacts my sleep quality. The third thing is I tried skipping breakfast because people talk about intermittent fasting, which I know is skipping breakfast. And people joke that it's just skipping breakfast. It really didn't work for me, you know? And I, I'm pretty sure that's because of my body type. I'm more tall and lean. But what I found is that eating carbs in the morning, any type of carbs makes me tired. So then I have to try to drink more caffeine, which would then make my heart pound. So what I found is for me, it's high protein plus tea in the morning. So it happens to be two eggs, maybe some bacon if we have it most mornings. And I'm fine having relatively boring diet. You know, I don't need a bunch, bunch of change. But even when I was at MicroConf and I could order whatever I wanted at you know, the Hotel Palace in Dubrovnik, it was an omelet and some baked beans. I love that European style breakfast. But that, and then I feel great and I have amazing energy and I don't get tired in the afternoon. Two more things before I sign off. One is I realized the negative impact that gluten, and I'm still trying to sort it out if it's gluten or if it's carbs, but it's the negative impact that those have on in terms of my energy. I don't know if it's because I'm older, but good grief if I have a sandwich, which I love myself a good turkey sandwich, slathered in mayo mustard and some guac on that, add some cheese, lettuce, spinach, just all the things. 
And yet now I eat it and I basically almost need to go to sleep within an hour after that. I don't remember this happening when I was younger. Maybe I just had a bunch of energy, but, uh, you know, and again, I'm trying to figure out lately if it's like if I had French fries, which are gluten-free, is it just the carb, the carby nature of it that makes me tired? So it's not that I don't eat carbs or don't eat gluten anymore. It's that when I do, I know that I'm going to be tired later and I'm basically biting the bullet. You know, it's like having a big dessert and being like, well, I'm not going to feel great, but man, it's going to taste good. So that's that's something I've been really trying to attune to in my own kind of, of energy level as I'm, as I'm managing that. Last thing is a hack I learned, I don't know, six or eight years ago, but Someone had mentioned to me, I think it was a doctor at one point, it said, you know, oftentimes it's not how much alcohol you drink in an evening, it's how late you drink it. And the later you drink it, the longer it takes to get out of your system, the more it disrupts your sleep. So I have my own personal rule that I don't drink alcohol after 10 p.m. It's very, very rare that I break this. And when I do, I almost always regret it the next morning. Not necessarily with a hangover, but oftentimes I'm just a lot more tired than I should be based on how much I consume. So... Since implementing this whole post 10 p.m. thing, it's been extremely rare that I've had any type of of negative impact like a hangover or something the next day. And, you know, some people like rules like this and some people don't because it feels constricting and they want to have fun and and that's awesome. But for me, when I know that my whole day can be ruined, if I wake up super tired, I, I can almost fall into like a temporary depression and I can have this outlook that everything's going to you know, and, and it's just because I'm tired. And that's something I hadn't realized 10 years ago. But now when I wake up that tired, I don't make any long-term decisions. And I really, I notice that in myself and am able to, I think, manage that and either do take a nap because I work from home, right? Take a short nap if I really, really need it, which doesn't happen very often anymore because of these things that I've implemented. Or I'm able to just do the work and um, and come back another day when I feel perhaps more focused more you know, high energy and more motivated to, to do things. So those are just five quick things that I wanted to throw out. And like I said, I'm not saying that these particular things should or shouldn't apply to you. But what I'm saying is be aware of your energy levels and your moods based on what you're eating and how you're sleeping. And there's all these patterns that I think are so important that we don't think enough about as whether you're a software developer, whether you're an entrepreneur. I was always so focused on growing the business, I wasn't paying attention to a lot of things like this. And these are things that I really only had time to discover after leaving Drip. And then I had all this headspace to start realizing the impact that these things had on me. So from someone who wishes that he had discovered these things a little earlier, I hope that uh, you might take a moment to think about them in your own life. So thanks so much for joining me this week on another Rob solo adventure. I appreciate you tuning in every week to Startups for the Rest of Us, whether it's been an episode, whether it's been a month or a year. And I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning. Thanks to our sponsor, Software Promotions. Software Promotions has been managing Google Ads and Google SEO for clients for 22 years, if you can believe it. They've worked with more than 600 businesses. They're no nonsense, a lot of transparency. And you know, one of the co-founders, Dave Collins, has spoken seven times at MicroConf. So you've likely seen his videos if you've checked out our YouTube channel. He's also spoken at Business to Software and countless other conferences around the world. So if you're looking for someone to help you with your Google Ads, whether you're just getting started, whether you want an expert eye, whether you want someone to manage that for you, as well as SEO from audits to getting down and dirty with organic search, 
Dave and Aaron know what they're talking about. Those are the co-founders of Software Promotions. You can head to bit.ly slash tamegoogle to learn more about Software Promotions or head to softwarepromotions.com and let them know you heard about them on Startup to the Rest of Us. Thanks to Dave and Aaron for sponsoring the show. 